just can't stop smiling. Um, it's so good to have all you guys here today. Uh, we may run a little long today. I just want to be aware with all these different elements that we have going on. Um, but that's okay. Some, some Sundays are good to go long. Um, and I want to welcome all of Rob and Natalie's family. You guys, it's a blessing to have you guys here. Um, you just, you know, like up, upped our church attendance by quite a bit. Amen. <laughs> I want to remind you that we have these bookmarks somewhere uh, for memorizing verses for this, this sermon series. Take them. Just take a wad of them and hand them out to other people if you want. Um, Bill Massey prints those for us, and we're really grateful for that. Um, <clears throat> if you, we all know the story of the Hatfields and the McCoys feud, right? That's like, you know, names that are synonymous in uh, American history with border conflict, uh, real families and a real feud who uh, they, they all lived on the Kentucky, I think, West Virginia border from 1878 to 1891. They were feuding and, and the whole thing started over a hog, if you don't know that. And a dozen people on each side of those families died during this feud. It was kind of crazy. The modern descendants have since buried the hatchet, and you may not know that they appeared on Family Feud in 1979, the TV show, and they had a hog on the stage throughout the whole show that they were, so that at the end, whoever won got the hog and the cash prize. So that was kind of cool. But Israel at the time had a sort of a similar animosity or or feud going on between Jew and Samaritan. Um, and, and we start out in chapter 4 of John today with Jesus leaving Judea, you know, returning to Galilee, choosing to go right through Samaria, which is significant. And last week, if you remember, if you were here with us last week, we saw him in a private meeting with a Jewish uh, sort of religious leader, Nicodemus. And this week we see him in a private meeting with this Samaritan woman. And uh, so turn with me, if you, if you want to, page 726 in your church Bibles there, to John chapter 4. Page 726, John chapter 4. And while you're looking that up, I just want to say that the, the proposition I have for you today is that, is that Jesus satisfies our thirst once and for all. Jesus satisfies our internal thirst once and for all. The question is, the question for all of us is, how do you seek to satisfy your thirst now? right? What do you go about to satisfy your thirst now? Is it through him or is it by some other means, right? We're going to start in verse 4, chapter 4 of John, starting in verse 4 to verse 6, just to start with. Uh, So keep your finger in that that passage. We're going to keep reading through this uh, periodically. But it says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. And if I mispronounce that, don't email me. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. Now, you got to understand that through Samaria was the, the shortest, quickest route to Galilee, but it wasn't the only way. The other route was through Perea, which was east of the Jordan River. Uh, you can see that on this map up here. And in Jesus' day, uh, Jews, due to their hatred for Sam- Samaritans, considering them to be sort of half-breeds and heretics and all that stuff, they would normally take this other longer route um, so that they would not have to come in contact with them. But Jesus chose the route that goes right through that area. He's not afraid to engage the despised. 
And he's not a, and, and it almost seems to me, after I think about this passage, that he's almost taken this route so that he can redeem this whole people. And he's starting with this woman almost. But anyway, I'm going outside of... But anyway, you, verses 7 and 9. All right. Uh, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So they're there alone, just him and this woman. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Last week, as I said, we saw Jesus interacting with this Orthodox Jewish man, right? And this week we see that he's sitting, you know, by this well asking this Samaritan woman for a drink. Now, you got to understand that that is opposite as opposite can be, right? Nicodemus is like Joe religious, and this woman is like, you know, Joe out, Jane outcast, right? They're, they're just so very different. And uh, both of these meetings are intimate, private meetings, right? They're, they're alone when they're talking. And not only would a rabbi not associate with a Samaritan, but he would definitely not speak to a woman either. Right, So uh, Jews weren't even allowed to drink from the same container as a Samaritan. We find that in Leviticus 15. This Samaritan woman contrasts so sharply with Nicodemus. You know, there's a few differences here that I'd love to point out. He was, he was seeking, and she's almost indifferent, right? Uh, he comes to Jesus at night, if you remember, and, and Jesus comes to her, in a sense. And he was respected ruler, and she was this sort of an outcast in her society. He was serious, and she's almost curt with him, right? Um, he was a Jew. She was a despised Samaritan. He was moral. She was immoral. Uh, he was learned in religious matters, and she was ignorant of religious matters. Very different. Yet in spite of all these differences between these, this, this religious man and this woman of the world, both had a thirst that only Christ could meet. Both had a thirst that only Christ could meet, and neither was satisfied with their world and their life and, and all that. Neither one of them was satisfied. And because of that dissatisfaction, that puts them on equal ground with Jesus, right? It puts them right on equal ground with Jesus. Now, some of us come to Jesus through our immoral lifestyle, right? And we, we get convicted by the Holy Spirit, and, you know, the Word of God gets into us somehow, and we repent and we give our lives to the Lord, and that's like pretty, you know, normal. There are other people, though, the, people like Mother Teresa, if you've ever read her writings, that come to Jesus experiencing their need for Him through the avenues and the efforts of doing good in the world. Right? They try to do good to measure up, measure up, and all that kind of stuff. And she did all the good she could, but she still, if you've re- read her book, uh, experienced the dark night of the soul where she realized that none of that was any good. Right? Which revealed her deep need for Jesus. And I don't know where Mother Teresa stood with the Lord, but, but I, I'm just saying that that's what I gleaned from what I re- read when she, when she was, when I read her book. But, Jesus answers this woman in verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Amen, right? Jesus uses this simple context to expose her need and to lead her to himself. Amen for that. 
He uses this term living water, which she'd know right away that he couldn't get from that well because that was that well was only a cistern. It only caught rainwater. Living water, though, had two meanings. Living water firstly meant running water like a brook or a stream, like living, moving, right? It's cleaner water usually when it's, it's moving too. Second, it was also a term associated with the Holy Spirit. And so he's playing on words here, right? And, and he's using the context to address her dissatisfaction and her thirst in life, right? It's not really about a drink, and it's not really about water. We all get that. But about how she tries to satisfy the longing in her soul, this soul thirst in her, right? Verses 11 and 12. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also uh, his sons and his livestock? Now, understand, they're sitting there alone, and I believe that Jesus gets personal right off the bat, right? (laughs) He gets personal right off the bat. So what does she do? She deflects. That's what we all do, right? When somebody gets personal with us, we deflect. You can't get living water here. What are you going to do, she says, right? You've heard the term red herring, right? There's actually no such fish as a red herring. It, the, the, the process of brining fish turns them kind of reddish, and they usually use uh, herrings for this, um, it, you know, and it made that fish smell a lot. And so we know that people use red herrings to train scent dogs to to get them to not get thrown off a trail, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, even escaped prisoners have been known to use red herrings as, as uh, things to throw the dogs off a trail, things like that. And so it, it has become synonymous with something used to divert someone from getting to the truth, right? And we throw out our red herrings when somebody gets too close to our heart sometimes. And this woman's first inclination is to throw out a theological red herring uh, to get Jesus off the scent of her heart. This is her first red herring, right? Do you think that you're greater than our, our father Jacob? But Jesus stays right on her scent. He is not diverted at all. He answers her question and he addresses her need by continuing with his illustration. Verses 13 and 14, he says, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Now, notice the verb drink there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But whoever drinks, verb drink again, the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. God bless this. I I just love these stories, right? You know, knowing she has no satisfaction in life, he almost ignores her question, right? He, not even mentioning Jacob at all. He doesn't even go there, so to speak. The verb form in verse 13 suggests one that has to come, like somebody having to come back again and again and again to drink water, always working to satisfy their thirst. So Jacob, in other words, built a well which can only temporarily satisfy bodily needs. But the verb form in verse 14 is different. The word, the water Jesus gives is like suggests drinking only once 
you know, at, at one time, which satisfies her thirst and her need from within forever and ever and ever. It fills that longing of her heart, which she's tried to fill for so long with other things. Now, this would possibly make her think of the sacrificial system of the temple, maybe, right? Where we know people would bring a lamb without blemish and, and to offer as a sacrifice for their sin. Um, but it was limited and it was temporary, if you know the, the whole system. It had to be done over and over and over again. And all of that, all of that sacrificial system of the temple was set as a foreshadow of the coming Messiah, the foreshadow of Jesus as the final sacrifice for our sin. Hebrews chapter 7 equates Jesus with the great high priest who would, would go into the temple and offer these sacrifices for the people. There was only one guy allowed to go in there, in the presence of God. But it, he, but it also, Hebrews chapter 7 also uh, equates Jesus with the sacrificial lamb, the perfect lamb, which ultimately satisfies forever by pay, paying for our sin once and for all. Amen, right? In verse 18 and 19, it says... Why don't, you should come to church every week because you have no idea how encouraging that is. God bless you. I love that. It's like, wow, somebody's listening. Amen. Woo! Now, other people do that here as well, usually. But I, I want you to know I love it. <laughs> the, but all right, so Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19 say this. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. The former regulation of all these sacrifices. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope, referring to Jesus, a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So Christ's sacrifice brings us near to God. Then in verses 27 and 28 of Hebrews 7, it says... Uh, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law, the grace that came after the law, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. God, thank you. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Jesus is alluding to himself as this final sacrificial lamb for her sin once and for all. The one and only thing which can actually satisfy her internal longing, which nothing else has been able to do up until this point in life. He was sinless, and as so, he became the one perfect sacrifice for our sin. So in uh, John 4, verse 15, the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty, and I have to keep coming here to draw water. It's like, come on, man, get it, right? She's not, she, it reveals that she's not really listening, not really fully getting it yet. That's okay. I, I wouldn't, probably. She's still looking down at her immediate circumstances, which we tend to do. But he's going to get her to look up to him. You know, who can blame her? She's had a hard life. 
you know, it's backbreaking work that she has to do every day. And Jesus is going to help her understand he is speaking of something much deeper of her thirsty soul. Her thirsty soul. He's speaking of satisfying that thirst in her which has brought her to a life of shame. And he will take that shame away. And now in verse 16, he identifies the source of her shame by saying this. Go call your husband and come back. Go call your husband and come back. You know, this woman had to go to this, uh, this distant well alone in an unusual time of day because of her social position in the village, most likely. She wasn't just a Samaritan woman with whom Jesus shouldn't be speaking. She was a promiscuous woman in her own town living in shame. She goes to this well at the height of the day since no one else would be there. The other women would go in the cool of the morning. She is an outcast. She's alone. By asking her to call her husband, Jesus reveals her internal soul thirst. That's what he reveals. With one question or one statement. A thirst to be Loved, a thirst to be cared for, a a thirst to be special to somebody out there. There is a hole in her heart that she has been desperately trying to fill for a long time. She has tried to satisfy that thirst with men to no avail. No avail. She goes back again and again every single day to get water from that well. And she goes back to men over and over to satisfy her thirst to be loved. That's what's happening. Now, it would be simplistic, and it would be unfair, and it would even be hypocritical for us to call her a slut. Just wouldn't be fair. She, like us, all of us, have to come to the conclusion that when God says no to something, he's saying no Don't do that thing that kills you. And when he says, do do something, he's saying, yes, do that thing that brings you life. And we all react to our desire, our internal desire for acceptance and for love and for relationship in a variety of ways. Nicodemus sought to satisfy that need through religion, for doing everything right, Whereas this woman sought to satisfy it through men. And in that sense, they are equal. In that sense, they are both far from the Lord. The question is, what do you seek to satisfy your thirst? It's a good question to ask yourself. In verse 17, she replies, I have no husband. I have no husband. But this wasn't the full truth, as we know the story, right? She does what we all do, right? Whenever you get cornered, she, she answers just enough to seem honest. Just enough. But she doesn't divulge the whole truth. Perhaps she's, re, she's sort of reacting out of years of shame heaped on, upon her by others. She doesn't need another Jewish man making her feel bad about herself. She already feels that very deeply. But Jesus is a bloodhound on her scent. He's lovingly cornering her in a tree, so to speak. And he won't shame her 
But he had to go to that painful place in her heart in order to reveal her true thirst. To bring it to light. Which she doesn't yet recognize as a deeper longing for his love and his acceptance and his sacrifice for her. Verses 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. He's reading her mind, right? The fact is you have had five husbands. And that the man that you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And he knows all about her without even ever meeting her before. I guess he can do that if he's fully God and fully man, right? And he sees right to the core of her soul, exposing her failed life. That's got to be a little painful. But he's lovingly wounding her in order to heal her. Notice, although he does not condone her actions, he doesn't condemn her either. And and he's not showing her why she can't be in his presence, but rather why she needs to be in his presence. Right? Speaking to her when all others probably wouldn't, he is saying to her, when everyone else shuns you, I accept you. I know you're just trying to satisfy this deep longing in your soul for love. And Jesus loves her right now as she was created to be loved. Giving her dignity. But make make no mistake. Let's make no mistake. He is calling her to repentance. He is calling her to a life change. And we have to do that. We have to understand that. But as we said before, when someone gets too close to our heart, it hurts. So she throws out her second red herring the age-old feud between Jews and Samaritan. Notice, though, that she begins with a compliment. She butters his bread a little bit, make it go down nice, right? She, she's hopefully going to throw him off the trail one more time. Verses 19 and 20, she says, Sir, the woman, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Ooh, <laughs> you know, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So beginning with this flattery, she refers to a theological argument as to the question, where is God to be worshipped? It's an age-old question between the two groups. Jews emphasized Mount Mount Moriah, while Samaritans emphasized Mount Gerizim. Now, this would be the equivalent today if I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and I'm talking about what Jesus means to them, and the message starts to get too personal, too close to their heart, and they throw out the red herring. Well, how can God be loving if there's so much suffering in the world? That's not a real question. Come on. Let's get to your heart. Screw all that stuff. You know, let's talk about you and Jesus. But that, those are the kinds of questions we get. They're red herrings. She expected him as a Jewish man to engage the feud, to say, you Samaritans don't know what you're talking about. And he kind of does a little bit. He simply, though, he simply proclaims gently and confidently to her that Samaritans don't have the complete truth since they don't have the full story. They had had limited scriptures 
They had only uh, accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't want to listen to any, any of the rest. And, and furthermore, they had polluted themselves, but, uh, their faith by sort of taking on the belief systems of the, of the surrounding culture. So they were practicing things that were not of God. And she, she needs complete, crystal clear truth right now. Right? She, that's what she needs. And like Nicodemus last week, she needs also to receive that by way of God's Spirit. This woman, like Nicodemus, needs spiritual rebirth. She needs to be born again into the life of Christ. Jesus doesn't allow this to degenerate into a feuding, right? As, as a skilled listener, he, he keeps on the trail of her heart very well. When Jesus comes through in our witness to others, not fruitless arguments, right? Not getting tripped up. Then we can get somewhere, hopefully. Being confident in proclaiming truth while we're still being sensitive to a person's heart. People respond positively to Jesus in us, right? Arguing them into a corner never really does much to help. It just creates distance, it seems. When it comes time to speak truth, just do it plainly. Do it plainly and do it respectfully. Just proclaim the gospel very simply, as Jesus does for her through this more complete picture. His, his words actually surprise her. Verses 21 and 24 to, through 24 says, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So he's saying to her a number of things by this. He's saying, firstly, that truth is important, and there is truth. Secondly, well, well, let me say a little bit more about that. The Jews had the totality of, of God's word. They had been entrusted with it. And as so, the knowledge of salvation had been entrusted to them and it originated from them. Now, secondly, it's not where you worship. He says it's not where you worship, but who. And oddly enough, the who is sitting right in front of her next to this well. The very one that Scripture prophecies about with Jesus, we see here that that, that a time came for a new sort of order of worship. Things change. To worship in truth is to worship God through Jesus, the living water and the living word, right? Taking in the whole counsel of God, all of the Scriptures that speak about him. To worship in spirit is to worship in that subjective realm of relationship with Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit, right? So which, that includes a spiritual rebirth like we talked about last week with Nicodemus, but it also is a, about an ongoing relationship with Jesus, walking deeply with him. You know, Romans one twenty five tells us that everybody in the world worships. It just depends on what we worship. That's the question, Right? We all worship. Everybody out there worships. What are they worshiping? Hers centered around men, hoping that they would satisfy her need, and now it would would begin to center around Jesus, the only man that could, could satisfy that deeper longing of her heart. 
She's a Samaritan, and as such, she'd been told to look to Mount Gerizim. That's where she goes to worship. A place, an objective thing, right? To center her worship upon. But God desires us to go beyond the objective thing to the subjective relationship with Jesus. To come into relationship with Him, which gives meaning to the the objective things, actually. Like Nicodemus, beyond the trappings of religion to Jesus, you know, as he learned that lesson. But what's that mean? What does that mean? Well, objectively, I can say a lot about my wife, you know, concrete thing about, things about my wife's physical makeup. <laughs> she is a beautiful woman. What she does when she's not dressed like a construction worker. But, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I can say a lot of concrete things about her physical makeup, what she does, what she doesn't do, the color of her hair, her eyes, her, you know, all that stuff, right? And I can say, well, that's Kim. I can point to her and say, that's Kim. But if that were the extent of the relationship, that would be very shallow, right? Kim, when I, like, in, in, in relationship with her, when Kim speaks, she, she reveals her, her heart, her desires, her passions, her history, her hopes, her dreams, her opinions, and her fears, and her emotions, and I got to get used to all that and make sense of all that. It's not that easy sometimes. And it's not that easy with me either. I'll admit that, right? But to know Kim, I not only know objectively about her, right? But subjectively as well, I know her in personal relationship. The give and take in relationship. The, the heart-to-heart communication. I've been married for like, I'm approaching in the next few years. We'll be married 30 years. Oh, my goodness, right? I can almost read Kim so many times. And that's what this woman's facing with Jesus. She's known the concept of God. She's, She's points to Mount Gerizim, right? Only having the limited scriptures, which has, and, and all of that has left her wanting more. It's not been enough for her, as it wouldn't be enough for any of us. And now... I'm not sure she would have been able to describe that hole in her heart in terms of God. Or would she have just thought that she was lonely? I think she would probably just describe it as loneliness. But Jesus says that loneliness, only I can really fill it. That's why my, my wife, I love my wife, but she doesn't satisfy me at that deep longing thing. That is a God shaped hole. Only Jesus can fill. In her mind, God is for the religious. She's just a woman trying to get by. She's been left feeling empty. She's been left feeling used. She's filling her thirst for real love with men. And now she's faced with not only the objective Jewish rabbi sitting by that well before her, but she's hearing the subjective side of Jesus' heart beside that well. And it's not the usual message of, you know, that she, of shame that she knows so well. But it's one of love. And it's one of acceptance and of hope and of freedom. And maybe it sounded too good to be true. And to assure herself of what she's hearing from him, she says this in verses 25 and 26. I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. What a moment. 
right? Amen, right? And there it is. I'm God. I'm that Messiah. I'm that final sacrifice for you. I'm here to fulfill your thirst, which you've tried to satisfy your whole life in so many different ways. Even you, a promiscuous Samaritan woman that everybody else rejects, I accept. I am here not only for the religious leader like Nicodemus, but I'm here for you too. A Samaritan woman shunned and living in shame. Amen. Jesus satisfies her thirst and ours as well. He waits at the well to draw out living water, which meets all of our needs. But do we allow him to satisfy? Or do we just keep running back to the well of our idols in whatever form we indulge them? Worshiping limited things, right? which keeps us going back to fill our water jars over and over and over again and just kills us slowly over time. It's back-breaking work which never satisfies. This woman wasn't seeking like Nicodemus was in a sense. Jesus pursued her, placing himself right next to the well of what she thought was going to bring satisfaction in her life. And, and he lovingly confronted her on her need. He brought it to light. You may be coming to Jesus as Nicodemus did with, with sincere questions. I don't know. You may not. And if you don't, if you're not like pursuing Jesus yourself, that he, I believe that he will place himself right by, beside the well from which you draw And he will offer you a different, more satisfying drink. And will you take it is the question. Feuds start, feuds drag on, and in the end, we don't even remember what we're feuding about or who we're fighting against. Jesus is the one and only person, the the one and only with the power and the authority to end the feud right there beside this well for this woman. And he wants also to end yours. Your feud is not between someone else. It's between you and God. He's not fighting you, but we kick against him. Why struggle? Why struggle? If he is offering you freedom right now, if you're feeling that, if you sense it right now by the Holy Spirit, take it and don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. We had three people come to faith last week in this church. Amen to that. And I would love to have 40 more. Not that there's 40 in here. But but find freedom in Christ in this moment. And all you have to do is simply pray, Jesus, in the past I've rejected your living water. I've put my trust in things that don't really satisfy. And I want you to fill me up right now with your life. I repent of my sin. I give it up. I surrender my life. And I accept you as my Savior and my Lord in this moment. And you can mark this day. You can mark this day. Wouldn't that be cool? For others of you here today, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for quite a long time. But you've forgotten that he's the only thing that really satisfies. And you've gone back to the well of your idols. And I just simply say to you, get serious again. Repent, walk away, give it up, and find that abundant life once more that you need to be finding. Get about the kingdom. Get busy, right? 
Use the spiritual mentors if you need to. Or maybe you've sought to be obedient to his call to, to provide this living water to others, right? Maybe you've been, been, uh, you've been being Jesus to somebody else, right? Uh, for a long time now, you know, you've been sitting beside their well and, and you're being the only scripture that they've ever read, the only Jesus they've ever met. Well, amen to you. Amen to you. A few of you did that last week for a couple of people in this room. Amen to you. And I want to remind you that your words matter and your life matters. Your lifestyle, your thoughts, your words matter, which is why we emphasize reading Scripture by these, these bookmarks, by memorizing, in order to prepare ourselves well for these kinds of conversations with people. Pray Jesus bleeds through your your, your, your words and your demeanor as you speak to them, that, that he'd guard your conversation from degenerating into useless arguments and indul- indulging in old feuds which only to relationships. See that person as yourself, on equal ground with you, right? As one, an, another person in the world who tries to desperately satisfy their thirst in many negative or limited ways. And offer them a new drink. Offer them the only thing that really satisfies. Give them Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to pray. We're going to go ahead and pass the tithe because we're going to go into the communion time. And uh, Let me just pray for us as we do that. If you're near the front, you can grab the little box there um, and pass it back. Uh, if you're... Uh, Visiting today, don't feel at all obligated to put anything in there unless the Lord leads you to do so. Um, We are a self-supporting ministry, and there are many ways to give up there on the screen. Uh, But let me pray for us as we go into the communion time. Father, we thank you that you are here, that you are present, that these stories pop. They just pop out of the scriptures for us. We we remember them. we, We think we know them. But we need to put ourselves back into them, Father, and we need to hear them again and again. We need to remind ourselves of who and what you are. Some of us are hearing that for the very first time, and I don't mean hearing the words. I mean actually hearing your voice or being drawn into you. And I pray that all of us would be responding to that voice. Come, Holy Spirit. Bless us. Bless us and walk with us as we walk more deeply with you. And we remember as you broke bread in that upper room with your disciples, and you broke the bread and you said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you took the, the, the blood and you said, this is the, the, the blood of the new covenant. And you, you described how to, to them how to take this and do this ceremony, which is, isn't just a ceremony, it's a remembrance. It's a remembrance of the deep, powerful work that you did through dying on that cross and rising from that grave that if that blood wasn't shed and that body wasn't broken we wouldn't be here today and we wouldn't be finding freedom in you now we thank you for this story we thank you for the power behind your blood and your body and for a god that is willing to go to those extent to love his people and draw people back to himself so we say yes to you today Amen.